people are getting out on bikes, especially in COVID, just as a coping strategy, right? Just to get out and ride a bike. And it doesn't matter what kind of bike you're riding. It's just get out, relax, ride with the family, ride by yourself, social distance, give yourself some mental respite after all the stress that's going on. From an acquisition standpoint, it's just making our lives much, much easier as marketers in the bike industry. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm absolutely stoked today to introduce Matt Heitman, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at the Pros Closet. Welcome to the show today, Matt. It's awesome to have you here. Awesome. Thanks. It's great to be on. So you and I have been kind of playing tag a little bit in terms of pulling this interview together. There's been a lot that's been happening, but the intention behind sharing you with the audience here today is to have you talk about the kind of the bird's eye view that I believe Pro's Closet has a very specific, special view into, I think, multi-brand cycling search behavior, sales, obviously, et cetera. So we're here to talk about how you're seeing new cyclists you know, within the pros closet ecosystem, if you will. And then also just to talk about, you know, what you see as a longtime industry leader in terms of keeping, and I call it catching and keeping, right? We want to basically grow these enthusiasts, grow them from newcomers to enthusiasts. So I wanted to, I think you're a perfect person for that. But before we drop in today, would you mind giving a little bit of your background and then when you joined pros closet and why? Yeah, I got back. I got into cycling. Well, I was a competitive cyclist, never a very good one, but I was a competitive cyclist in my teens and 20s. Started a, a coaching, training, retail organization in Philadelphia called Cadence. And we expanded that to New York, and that was a lot of fun. And got out of that when the stock market crashed in 2008. Our, our business kind of imploded. And Brandon Cork, who was the founder of Competitive Cyclist, asked me to come be his head of marketing and, and sales. And so did that and we blew up competitive cycles like crazy over about a two, three year period. And we got acquired by backcountry, went to backcountry and then BMC asked me if I'd move to Switzerland and head up their brand and marketing communication strategy. So I was at BMC for a couple of years. And then Roman Arnold at Canyon reached out to me since I was already in Europe and he asked me to be the CMO at Canyon um, where I was for about five years. And we blew that up. We just really had incredible, astonishing growth. And then I had the opportunity to come back to the United States and with the pros closet. And they've got a great venture capital group behind them. Uh, they interviewed me and it's just a great, great synergy there and a great opportunity. And I love the business. I love the business model and it's totally disruptive and has a totally unique perspective on the industry and the consumer. So it's just too good to turn, to turn down. I have to tell you that you have an incredible 
resume, like your experience is, I think, threaded together by pioneering different business models in the enthusiast, you know, passion markets that we're in, in terms of cycling being one of those. But, you know, competitive cyclists obviously was a renegade um, brand. And then you sold that to backcountry. I love that you moved over to Switzerland. Like that's amazing just to immerse yourself in in what that global experience is, is like. But then I actually didn't know that you had a stint at Canyon. And that's incredible too, because it's obviously a direct-to-consumer brand that's super well-established in Europe. So can you just tell us like when you got the the call or, you know, you were reached by the pros closet, like what was the first like pang of excitement that you felt about that? Like, can you bring us into like what, cause I feel like you follow the thread of the opportunity and a little bit of a thrill with the new business model. Yeah. And I love direct consumer marketing and the data we get out of it. I'll be totally honest when Travis Irwin contacted me and Travis is a long time, long time friend. And we were both in Europe at the same time when he was at Reynolds. And he said he was coming here and I didn't know that much about it. And then he reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested. And I think my initial reaction was, oh man, I don't want to sell you these bikes. And, <laughs> um, but then the more I, I learned about it and I started learning about the circular economy and, and sort of what was happening in the United States with millennials, you know, they're severely debt ridden. And, uh, you know, there's this sort of experiential economy where it's better to, better to experience and not to own. And that really goes along with what's going on in social media that you kind of want to see yourself out there experiencing, but you don't want to have to pay for it or have to pay for the products to get you there. And that it all meshes perfectly with, with what's going on at the pros closet and being able to get people in really de-risking the bike purchase and not having a real long-term commitment if you don't want to. So you, you buy a bike, but you could always trade it back into us if you wanted to. We'll buy it back from you. So it de-risks the... The depreciation that you risk the ownership, the cost of ownership, and um, allows you to really experience whatever you want, whatever kind of bike, whatever kind of riding style you want to experience. Again, without with, without the risk that the financial risk that might come along with that. I love that business model as well. And literally, this podcast has been going for three years, and I've I've talked with a bunch of people who have had interesting business models, even Spinlister, like a couple three years ago, like back when they were in their first iteration. And I just have to say, like. The timing has been incredible, just as you pointed out with the trends. But what I also love about it is you you came from competitive cyclists in backcountry. And I remember when we were working with backcountry, we talked a lot about the people used it as like a Google of gear. Are you starting to see that or have you ever since you started? Are you seeing that that's how people are using the site in addition to potentially just kind of looking for a new bike, right? That kind of leads me into the newcomer questioning that I have. We track a lot of the, the search activity on the site and then we have a functionality you can save a search. So that really, I, I mean, I don't know if I would call it sort of a Google approach because we don't have that much inventory. And, the, and, and all our, honestly, our product descriptions aren't that great because our, we sell about 2.3 times a month. We clear all the inventory off our site. So we're doing 2.3 inventory turns a month at the moment. So for us to write really great product descriptions, it's kind of a wasted investment, right? But we do certainly see that we're pulling a lot of traffic and we have really great results on, on organic search for the products that we have um, off page. And certainly there's a lot of save searches that, that go on on the site. And that gives us a lot of indication of what we should be buying, what we should be looking at buying from that, you know, from, from, from our partners and from our, our consumers. 
And that I think leads us to a great, you know, first question. And that is, you know, through COVID and now the recession, what have you seen in, ser- in terms of search, sorry, site traffic searches and trends? You know, it's really, really surprising. We sort of expected that the ASP, so the average selling price of the product would, would go down under the circumstances because of uncertainty about the market and, and unwillingness to invest in, in such a costly product. I mean, our ASP is really was really high to begin with. And what we've seen is it's actually gone up more. We're about 35% higher now, um, the average selling price than we were in January. We're about $3,600 is our average selling price right now for a bike. And again, that's substantially higher than where we were. That was a real shocker. We've also seen a greater, we, we sort of expected that we'd see more mountain bikes being sold so people can just get out in the mountains and really social distance. What we've seen is a greater equilibrium in the, in, the, in the portfolio, the sales portfolio between road and mountain. We were traditionally more of a mountain. We were heavier on the mountainside sales of things, but now under COVID, it's really balanced out to where road and mountain are pretty equal. That is super interesting. So let's talk about the bike boom, because obviously everything we've been reading, and we'll get into a couple of great articles, one of which was written by Joe Lindsay for Outside Magazine. He's an exceptional journalist. But I wanted to talk about the bike boom, because what we've been reading is sub $1,000 bikes are basically gone, right, by now. I mean, when we were first starting to research this show together, there was still a little bit of inventory, but we were just waiting for it to run out. And that's really one of the main reasons I I thought you would be a great person to talk with, because you just explained that you're turning your inventory, what did you say, twice a month? Yeah, more than twice a month, yeah. And so that means it's almost like you have unlimited inventory. (laughs) So if I'm hoping you can kind of talk a little bit about, I mean, you just talked about average sale price, which is super interesting, but how about, do you guys, this might be an old school question for somebody as um, experienced as you, but are you looking at any heat maps or anything or watching how people are using the site in terms of potentially like newcomers, like maybe they're searching for family bikes? Because in Joe's article, he obviously talks about there's three new groups or growing groups. One is family, one is commuter, and one is existing enthusiasts, meaning like they're getting more enthusiastic. I think we're all sitting here with a little pent-up demand, right? So I'm just wondering, like, knowing that you don't have to so much worry about running out of inventory, how are you kind of trying to capture and nurture these people using your site since COVID? I'm imagining you have a new influx. Yes, we have. We've definitely got tailwinds for the business at the moment, but we don't really sell bikes or very many bikes under sort of $1,500. I mean, um, I, I, I don't know what you might find on the site right now for under $1,000. Very, very, very little. That's not really sort of our target. So we don't want to do marketing to to provide a really bad customer experience, right? So what, whatever we do with paid search or organic or any of our other channels, we don't want to drive traffic to the site for people who are looking for bikes under $1,000 or maybe even under $1,500 because we just don't want to create a bad experience. We don't want to waste their time and we don't want to you know, increase bounce rates and, and give Google the impression that we're not a great customer um, service provider in, in that sense. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, what we're seeing with heat maps, for example, and, and where people are gravitating on the site, where they're scrolling on the site, they're in that sweet spot price range of, you know, $2,500 to $3,500. I hear you on like the fact that you're not so much hitting like the family and the sub $1,000, but I think it's where I'm kind of gets really fascinated is just the, the inventory issue. So 
how are you nurturing people who are coming to your site? Are you doing special content presentations? Obviously, we've talked a ton on the podcast about consumer behavior change and how they're tethered to their browsers. And there isn't so much a sense as much as there was before about kicking the tires, literally and figuratively in your business, <laughs> about buying a new bike. So obviously that like purchase validation and purchasing online, I think there's less friction there just because people have had to do that for over three months now or longer. So I just wanted to ask, are you doing anything special in terms of trying to capture this consumer and try to offer them special content or ways to kind of nurture them through a research cycle? Yeah, I think... The two things that we really do well, and it, it might be that that this is what's pushing sort of our ASP up and why consumers, when they come to the site, they aren't looking for the $1,000 bikes. It's because we do have the certified pre-owned guarantee, right? So you buy a bike from us, we will buy it back from you within 18 months. So that might lower that, that intimidation factor where, oh, I was going to buy a $1,000 bike, but okay, I can sell it back to them. You know, I'll, I'll spend $2,500, I'll get my money back, I'll get most of my money back. There's some some level of depreciation there. So again, de-risking that, that financial commitment might be working in our favor in that respect. And we've really promoted the CPO side, the certified pre-owned side of our business and, and that aspect. And then also, I mean, Spencer, our, our content manager, just does a phenomenal job. Uh, he and Bruce, our, our technical writer, do a phenomenal job with, with content and, and blog stories um, and storytelling for people who aren't core. You know, they're enthusiasts or Maybe they're beginners getting into sport and they want to know what the difference between SRAM and, and Shimano is. And they want to know what riding tubeless tire is. And they want to know what different tire widths are. And what's the advantage of a gravel bike over a cross bike over a road bike? And where can I ride it? So we really try to be a media resource that puts its arm, that puts its arms around uh, a wider array of cyclists and not just the hardcore junkie guy that you know might gravitate more towards competitive cyclists. And has have Bruce and Spencer been kind of running a little harder, maybe, in terms of providing that resource-based content to different levels of cyclists? Because I think Pro's Closet, the name itself, I think, may be intimidating to a never-ever. Somebody who, you know, I think all of us, Matt, like we fell in love with bikes when we were little, so we all kind of feel like we're part of the tribe. But when you pop back into it in, during a situation like we're in right now, it does sort of seem like, you could encounter something and be like, okay, there's content there for me, but pros closet, that's not really so much for me. But just out of curiosity, have Spencer and Bruce had to really kind of like keep up by offering more content around what they're doing for newcomers, you know, more than they maybe would have done in the past. Cause obviously Spencer has an incredible pedigree coming from Velo News. I have all the respect in the world with him for him. And I'm just wondering like, how are you knowing how to react and, and proactively put things on the site to capture people's attention and interest? When COVID broke, there, Shift Media did this amazing um, market study or consumer study. And they found that there was a 35% increase in consumption, media consumption around, around the sport, around cycling. And they did a survey and 65% of the 4,000 people that they interviewed said that they wanted to consume something cycling related on a daily basis. So when we heard that, and we were already moving in this direction when COVID struck, we thought, well, people are going to be sitting at home wanting to read about bikes if they can't ride, ride their bikes. So we pushed and we heard that data from, from Schiff. We were like, oh my gosh, we've really got to jump on this, right? We really need to be the authority and a great resource for people who want to read cycling media, but not necessarily about racing. You know, it's more about riding, just sharing the passion of the sport. So we did some great video. 
he, Spencer, for example, rode to Kansas a couple of weeks ago, rode from Boulder to Kansas, sort of tribute to Dirty Kanza. Bruce built his own pump track in his backyard, we videoed that and, and did a little story on it. So it's been, you know, trying, again, trying to put our arms around everybody to um, be as inclusive as possible with our, our media content. And, and yeah, there's, there's certainly a strategy there to get people on our page and see the product we have and, and to buy the products that we have. And can you speak to a YouTube strategy? Or are you having? Are you trying to house all the video right there on the site? We share it across both both platforms. I would say that social media is certainly our weakest our weakest area in marketing. It's, it's sort of that ugly stepchild at the moment. Unfortunately, we're we're working on improving that, and we've actually got a, and we're interviewing right now for social media people and community building uh, people. So that's a, that's definitely an area where we can build out and. Uh, really improve on. Okay. I'm very curious to see, because obviously looking at, I've talked a lot about kind of GCN's coverage and the shift in that as we've um, gone through COVID. And I think that they've done an incredible job, like building a big, big audience on YouTube. But at the same time, it's pretty obvious, I think, to most cyclists that a lot of their content is pay for play. So what I really love about what you're offering is, you know, you have this wide array, like all brands considered multiple years of product, like almost a museum feel from a search standpoint. If you want to have that experience, you can. But I'm also just thinking about the fact that like your your certified pre-owned plus this content really makes me feel like you have kind of a stronger editorial stance than a lot of what we're seeing out there today from more traditional media. Would you agree? When I came on board a little over a year ago, one of the things that we set as a goal for us over the next couple of years is to be I mean, we don't want to be Velo News, we don't want to be Cycling News, but we want to be a media authority. And that's something that Spencer and Bruce are working towards and we'll be going through a redesign of that, that blog feature. And the great thing about our business is, you know, we always talk about being brand and product agnostic. We're not paid commissions. We don't have to have a store, you know, stack full of specialized product or Trek product or Canada product and all the parts and accessories they sell. So we can be really authentic and agnostic in our approach to how we write about things. We can write about whatever we want and we can be really honest about, about our experiences with those products. And I think people will appreciate that. And that's something that nobody in media can do and really nobody else in the bike industry can do because they don't have the array of products, the diversity and the selection that we have and the, and the access to products that we have. Or, and we also have great relationships with everybody in, in the industry and not just one or two that would maybe bias our our content. I have a question um, in our pre, you know, one of the pre-calls that we've done, you did talk obviously about, you're now talking about your channel strategy a little bit in terms of, you know, from a content standpoint. And I have interviewed Nick Martin, and of course, we'll link to that show, everybody in the show notes. So you can listen to the founder, talk about the founder's story and everything behind Pro's Closet. It's a great interview. But obviously, you started on eBay, correct? And I'm wondering, like, you know, going through COVID and knowing that people are recession-minded or have more time at home to search, how are you seeing that channel evolve? Is that something that's still, you know, kind of a new feeder of, of newcomers? Or I've seen it really interesting, like Cycling Tips, for example, presents those interesting bikes and like kits on there that they find on, on eBay almost every time I log in. So I'm just wondering like if you're, what the status is of the eBay part of your channel. Yeah, eBay has really become... I mean, I wouldn't say negligible, but a very, very small part of our business. I mean, in the course of the last two years since we went 
Consumer Direct and, and launched the website exactly two years ago. You know, whereas 80% of our business might have been through eBay, initially 20% Consumer Direct, that's, that's flipped to the point where eBay is just a, a very, very small part of our business and it's mostly lower price point objects or parts and accessories. And our bike strategy has also shifted as we've gone towards those higher, higher price points and higher quality product. And we really want to list that on our website because we can control the consumer experience much better there and control the conversation with the consumer much better and provide a much better consumer customer experience. So yeah, eBay is, is increasingly small part of it. Okay. That's great. And I also was curious, and I know you have so much experience, but being like a specialist in direct, you know, consumer direct approach with marketing, obviously your, your focus changes as often as consumer behavior changes, as often as algorithms change. So you're like a perfect person to have on this, on the Channel Mastery podcast, because that's what we literally study and hack every week. So I'm curious to know kind of what you're seeing from just I guess what I'm trying to say is like the newcomers are coming in. You don't want to have the experienced cyclists that you serve go away. It seems interesting that you've somehow bridged. You have such an elastic approach. You've somehow bridged where everybody feels welcome, right? You have the person who could research and and touch into that content, but you also have the enthusiast who's like trusts the, the, what is it, a 41 point certified, what, how many points are in your, your, uh, 141, yeah. Oh, 141. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, kind of going through this and looking at the algorithm changes and, and the way consumers are changing and all of that, I'm just kind of curious, you know, where do you think this is going in the future, even in the near future? Because things are changing literally every week right now with consumer behavior. Yeah. I mean, are, are you talking about sort of from an acquisition side of things? Yeah. Like with the growth in cycling and just people being interested in it and how they're, you know, going to find bikes and incorporate them like into their lives through your, your community that you've built. Yeah. You used a really interesting word a while ago when we were talking about, you talked about when we got into cycling, there's, there's sort of this tribal nature of, of the sport. And, you know, you have the road cyclists and the mountain bike cyclists and the, the triathletes, they certainly speak of the tribe very often. And I think what we're trying to do is, is break down those tribal barriers and be more inclusive. And a, a great thing that's happened, which I've noticed in the U.S. and not so much in, when I was in Europe, is especially with gravel bikes. Well, two things. I would say gravel bikes and esports are breaking down these traditional tribal barriers. And it's allowing the sport of cycling to be much, much more inclusive. And I really I love both of those sports for that reason. And it allows us to take a much broader approach to marketing and acquisition rather than having to appeal to the mountain bike guy because he only wants to ride a mountain bike and he only wants to go to a website to see mountain bikes and the road bike guy, same thing. And we can sort of apply a much broader approach to marketing that, hey, we love bikes and you love bikes and we've got every kind of bike that you that you might want. So it's making our job easier in a, in a way because we can we can tear down those those, those tribal boundaries. And, you know, what's really interesting is another thing that came out of that shift media report was that people aren't cycling anymore to compete or, or that interest in competitive cycling has really fallen off a cliff for better or worse. I don't know, but people are getting out on bikes, especially in COVID, just as a coping strategy, right? Just to get out and ride a bike. And it doesn't matter what kind of bike you're riding. It's just get out, relax, ride with the family, ride by yourself, social distance. Give yourself some mental respite after all the stress that's going on. 
from an acquisition standpoint, it's just making our lives much, much easier as marketers in the bike industry. Well, and I love that you had, you know, inherently you had something built for them. I mean, as marketers, we always think it can be better. I get that. And I hear you saying that, like, for example, with your social media. But you had a house that they felt welcome to come into, which is, I think, more than half the battle. I also would like to just ask you about kind of the company culture and vibe, because obviously that's one of the things we, this is being, you know, we're serving businesses and business leaders in this podcast. Going through COVID, you have a fast growing team. You know, it's exciting to be part of that entrepreneurial journey. Everybody who works there obviously knows that bikes are in a boom. How is your team responding or kind of maybe emotionally attaching to the fact that not only is this boom great for the bike business, but also for the planet? Have you seen anything really like evolve within your company culture in that way? Yeah, I mean, we've got the marketing team who have been really, really great at, at adapting to the, to the work from home situation. And I think what we found is, is a culture in general is the people who have been working from home have really pulled together. Great. I mean, it, it, I'm really shocked at how well this company has pulled together. And it's a company, when I joined a year ago, we had 40 people. I think I was a 42nd employee. And now we have 92 employees or 95 employees. So we've doubled in growth in that period of time. And a big chunk of that has happened, you know, during COVID, you know, we've got this complete chaos. And they've still pulled together really, really well. As far as the, the sustainability, I mean, that, that's just a tenant of our business. So we, we promote, promote sustainability through um, reselling product that already exists. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just a, a core value of ours is, is to promote, promote sustainability through the love of cycling. That's just one of our, our mission statements. So I wouldn't say that that's changed or been any more re- reinforced because of COVID. As a longtime cycling, you know, community leader, tell us what it's like for you to see like major metropolitan cities like block off roads so people can ride their bikes and commute and whatnot. I mean, that must be, you must be pinching yourself. You've seen fire and rain, my friend, living here and overseas and being in this business as long as you have. Like, what is your heart kind of saying about the way cycling's headed right now? I'm totally optimistic. I mean, I, I still have a lot of friends in Europe and I talked to a lot of the brands in Europe. And, you know, there was already this tendency in, in, in Europe with, with inner cities because of the, the diesel scandal, right? So the diesel scandal really was a major shocker and a major disruption to, uh, disruptive to uh, city planning. You know, even Stuttgart, which is the motor city of, of Europe, is closing down the, the center city to, to diesel cars of a certain age. And that's, I mean, just that that could happen is is astonishing. And the movement in Europe for micromobility is just so powerful and so progressive. And you're really starting to see that here and now, you know, what happened in New York was shutting down um, streets for bikes and um, Mm -hmm. Denver as well. And, you know, living in Boulder, obviously we have, I don't know how many hundreds of miles of of bike lanes and there's a tipping point happening now in in the bike industry. And, And Unless there's a vaccine that pops up by the end of this year, which seems unlikely. I mean, I think this trend is going to carry on through through next year. And that's just got this great momentum behind it. And I hope we don't screw it up. I hope that, you know, cycling, especially road cyclists, I would say, can be kind of intimidating sorts of persons. And I, and I hope we, <laughs> we really embrace this moment and bring everybody into sport and make them feel warm and comfortable and not intimidated and, and just, yeah, leverage this opportunity to its maximum potential. 
I could not agree with you more. And I think that everybody has the best of intentions. You know, the existing people leading companies in this space, whether they've been in the market 10 years or 50, right? (laughs) But at the same time, like what we don't know, we don't know. And I feel like so much of this inclusivity and, and welcome, you know, open arms it requires us to step away from the business we've tended to and try to protect, and especially in the face of a recession. So it's such an interesting time because so many of our clients, frankly, are just, they're looking at that main business, the main revenue driver for them, knowing that they should be doing other things because of COVID, but they're still so afraid to take both hands off of that, right? And so it's just like you say, I hope we don't screw this up. I I feel like it's not even that they would intentionally do it, I feel like they have to push themselves to just take some risks and face plant because I feel like even little steps like that will illuminate like the way forward for them to do that. And I, what I'm seeing is just people are just kind of stranglehold, like trying to keep things, <laughs> trying to keep that revenue there so they can try and get some form of planning in. And the nature of your business is also very unique, I think, because you, you're forced to be nimble. I mean, you're more real time than probably any other cycling related business I know of. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh my gosh. We, I've been interviewing people for the social media position. And whenever we talked about our marketing, our marketing calendar, which is kind of an oxymoron for our business, contradiction in terms of our business, because we don't calendar, we can't calendar. I mean, we are so opportunistic and we don't have, we don't have deep skews of, of any one given bike, right? Everything's a snowflake for us. So our marketing calendar is two weeks out. It's not a year out and we don't have these events that we can plan on. Um, the way sort of a manufacturer would. So yeah, we're super agile and we have to be able to turn on a dime just based on the product opportunities that we have. I love that. You hired a journalist who's used to being on deadline every day, right? And that's way more appropriate to, you know, the way consumers are using content and channels right now is, is definitely not a set and forget. I mean, we've been preaching that for a long time on the show and at Verde, but at the same time, like now we have to do that. We have to be responsive and people are looking every day at consumer trends. I can't say they're making changes to their marketing, but they're more aware of the consumer behavior changes. So hopefully that will, will follow suit soon. Um, I have to ask before we, we wrap up here, will you be offering any kind of like data reporting or any kind of service like that through your content going forward? Because it just seems like you're sitting on such an unique aggregation of data yeah that's that's an interesting point and it, it is something we do want to share and we'd really like it if the industry you know people for bikes or whomever might do more research also on the secondary markets um, and be interested there as, as we are you know the, the, the company that backs us the dc the venture capital group that backs us the foundry they are primarily investors in tech tech companies, and they really see the pros closet as, at the end of the day, it's kind of a tech company because of the data and the access to data and the brands that we have and the product assortment that we have. So we do share some of that data. We're trying to figure out you know, what we want to share and what we want to hold to, to preserve our, our secret sauce. Um, right. So we want to be somewhat careful about that. That's something we just have to work out. That's something that we're working internally on. It's something we want to do to be a resource for that information for, for, for the industry as well as for consumers. It's just how open are we about sharing that? I'm totally with you. I just had to ask because I just feel like you have an incredibly unique purview. So, well, is there anything else that you'd like to say as, a, you know, obviously a very experienced leader, but also somebody running a company that is literally a marriage of tech and cycling through 
COVID and the recession and everything else that we're going through here at being June 2020, is there anything else you'd like to, to share with the Channel Mastery audience in terms of the opportunities for growth with newcomers and being nimble and agile, et cetera? No, I, I mean, I would just really, I would encourage everybody out there who's in the bike industry or, uh, yeah, an outdoor in general is just to, to take this opportunity and grow the opportunity because it's good for all of us um, and it's good for the environment, it's good for people. Again, it's just, it just seems like such a ripe opportunity to do the right thing for the earth, for people's health and, and for our industry. So I would really encourage everybody to, to do the right thing. I'm totally with you. Well, Matt, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I've been wanting to interview you for a couple of, uh, probably as long as you've been there, <laughs> Pro's Closet. So I'm very grateful that we got to have the time here with you today. And I look forward to, you know, cheering for Pro's Closet from the sidelines. You guys are just crushing it. And I love watching you innovate. And you're really inspiring a lot of people in, in the specialty businesses that were, or industries that we're in. So keep it on with the pioneer approach and keeping that entrepreneurial fire active because you sure are doing some cool stuff over there. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.